We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. It's not often that we get to stand in greatness till we recognize that every day we live for Him. We're, we're standing in greatness. We're standing in greatness. God bless you this morning. Please be seated. Thank you, Lord. I can remember a little redneck in here. I can remember the first NASCAR race I went to. And I was really there just because there was a group of managers and we had tickets and it was free. But I never knew or expected what I was about to in, encounter when those cars roared, those, you know, those 1,500 horsepower cars roaring around the final turn. And there's a guy and he's got a flag and he waves it green. And I always thought, because my dad raced, that I knew what it was like to be at a race until all of those cars roared around that corner. And the very vibration and sound, my heart started pumping really fast. And, you know, I noticed everybody around me was having the same experience. It's something you can't hold back. You can't stop your heart. You can't keep, it's just the sound and the, the, all of those things. And then it reminded me, I've been fortunate or unfortunate, however you want to look at it, to have been around a couple of tornadoes in my life. And the sound of that thing, as it comes roaring at you, it sounds literally like a train on tracks coming right at you, and the, your heart just beats and pounds. And, and, and I can't imagine what it was like on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell, because there's nothing more powerful than the Holy Ghost. No NASCAR, no train, no tornado, nothing more powerful than the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost fell into that upper room, this wind came and it was so powerful. I can't imagine, their hearts must have been racing because they had an expectation there that what Jesus said was happening, now it's happening. I, I have a feeling they, some were jumping and some were running and some were sitting and their hearts were pounding and just because the Holy Ghost was falling. And, you know, I, I think that's what God wants us to experience in this latter-day reign. The, the power of the Holy Ghost. The, the, if you will, your heart is racing. You ever been in a situation where your heart starts racing because it's, you know, maybe you were just scared to death. And or, or maybe you were so excited and your heart's just start. Yeah, that buck, that 12-point buck is in your sights. And you get so excited that you can't even pull the trigger because you're doing this. I saw a kid unload a gun on a buck and never fire a shot. He had the fever, and he just kept ejecting the shell. There was such a, he, he never pulled the trigger and fired the shot. Listen, there's something about the power of the Holy Ghost where God wants to exchange with us an experience. And I think God is bringing us, I've been listening and kind of paying attention to different people around the country, and what I'm seeing is there is a resurgence, not just of the love of God. That is fantastic. But there are more people talking about the power and the move of the Holy Ghost than I've ever heard since I've been in church on national television and radio, and even everywhere you turn, there are those that are saying, hey, it's time for, and I want to just preach to you a little bit 
just, just a little bit. Turn to Acts chapter 4, and I have this question for you. Do I smell smoke? Do I smell smoke? Because where there's smoke, there's fire. Do I smell smoke? Acts chapter 4 is the continuing story of the healing of the lame man from Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went into the temple to pray, and they encountered this man that had been lame from his mother's womb. And They took him by the hand, lifted him up, and immediately he's healed. And It's this amazing story of the power of God in the lives of believers. But in chapter 4, we see many different characteristics unfold in the same apostles and others. And what it's like is when the church is on fire. Back when I came into church, I used to hear that all the time. I didn't hear that in the original church that I grew up in because we didn't know what that meant, to be on fire. But, but to be on fire for God, I heard that a lot when I first came into the church and, I, and, and, and experienced it. What it meant to be on fire. What does that mean, to be on fire? So let, let me stop for a second. Literally, literally, what would it mean to you if you were on fire? Most of us would, what, what, what are you supposed to do? Stop, drop, and roll. That sounds sort of Pentecostalish. Stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you've never seen it. Some of you are laughing because you've seen it a lot. A small community had a small church with several attendees. And in the small community, there was one atheist. One day, the church building caught fire. The entire community ran to the church to try to extinguish the flames, including this atheist. Someone yelled at him, hey, this is the first time I've ever seen you running to the church. And He yelled back, well, this is the first time I've ever seen the church on fire. Mmm, let that sink in a little bit. Well, there's a fire people want to know, and they want they have. Listen, if you want to get people to draw a crowd, start a fire. We could start a little bonfire right here in front of the church and watch the crowd gather in with the fire trucks and the police and the neighbors and all that. It draws a crowd. A fire draws a crowd. It's natural. When the church is on fire, folks, the people are going to notice. People are going to notice. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and says, to stir up the gift of God in you. Many people come to church today. Let's just pick on Pentecostals and Apostolics. Many people come to church today, Pentecostals and Apostolics, because they want God to stir up the gift that's within them. They want God to, but that's not what Paul said. He said, Timothy, you stir up the gift. You stir it. God, God's not here to stir up any gift. He's here for you to stir that gift. It's up to you. It, you know, I can, when the Holy Ghost hits me, I'm going to do this. And I remember that in the old church. The Holy Ghost hits me, I'm going to run. The Holy Ghost hits me, I'm going to jump. If the Holy Ghost hits me, I'm going to speak in tongues. If the Holy Ghost hits me, I'm going to do this and this and that. The Holy Ghost, listen, the Holy Ghost is not going to hit you. God's not about slapping you. Stir up the gift that is within you. If the Holy Ghost is in you today, you need to take out your spoon and stir it up a little bit. You need, to, you need to stir it a little bit. Don't worship God because it's Sunday and you know you ought to. 
Acknowledge God every day for what He's done. Get caught up in spirit and in praise. Listen, God wants us to be on fire. He wants us to be on fire. Every person that I've ever seen catch fire, they all do the same thing first until they figure out what's going on. They run. They run. Now, I'm not... <laughs> you old timers, I'm not saying do it, don't do it. But I've seen people get up and run in church because they got on fire. The one thing I learned is don't, don't laugh or make fun of people. David's wife did that. And that was bad news for David's wife. In Acts 4, we see several characteristics of the church that's on fire. We see this powerful presence that's, that's within them. When you're on fire for God, the Holy Ghost rests upon your entire life. See, a lot of people like to carry around the, what I call the box of matches, the matches Holy Ghost. And whenever they get ready to be a little bit on fire with the matches of Holy Ghost, they just pull out a match and light it. And, well, I'm on fire today, and, but you know what happens? That match, sooner or later, it burns down and it gets on next to their flesh. And what happens when fire gets next to your flesh? You drop it. Mm, a lot of people in church today are playing with that fire. But when it gets close to their flesh, they drop it. They let go of it. Why is that? Because the Holy Ghost is going to burn up some flesh. Listen, you need to be on fire for God. It'll burn up some flesh. Are you having problems with something today? Get on fire for God. If you, are you having some physical issues? Get on. If, have you got some habits you're trying to break? Get on fire for God. Listen, God will take care of that. You get on fire for Him, He'll take care of those habits. Not all habits are sin, by the way. You, you understand that, right? Not all habits are sin. There's habits. But they're bad for you. They're bad for your body. They're bad. But you want to get rid of them? Get on fire for God. He'll take care of that end of it because you're taking care of this end of it. The Holy Ghost is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Romans 8 and 9, but you're not in the flesh. Or in our saying today, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. We're, we're always in fleshly bodies. That's not what he's saying. He said, listen, you're not controlled by the fleshly nature. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Do you have the Holy Ghost today? Don't shake your head yes or no. That's up for you between you and God. Do you have the Holy Ghost today? If so, you're not being controlled by your fleshly nature. But Pastor Don, I'm being controlled by my fleshly nature. Man, y'all got quiet on me. Some of you should have jumped and shouted at this point. Controlled. Do we have issues in the flesh? Sure we do. But we don't allow it to control us. The Spirit would be that that controls us. If so be. So if I'm having these controlling issues, controlling issues, not issues, controlling issues, I need to look at my Holy Ghost. Okay, y'all. No man... Now, any man that hath not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Can I just? It, it, it's simple. Or the better said, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. That's, that's what we say today. If you don't have Jesus' Spirit in you, you, you don't belong to him. You're not his. Understand that there's no second blessing or second work of grace in this, there are those that teach that, well, when you come to the Lord, the Lord gives you His Spirit, and then later you're baptized in it, and you speak in tongues, and that's a second blessing. There's no such thing. There's no such animal in the Scripture. There's no such thing as a second work of grace. 
There's only grace. And so understand something. When you get full of the Holy Ghost, when you get on fire for God, you're, you're full of the Holy Ghost. Well, you know, I think I told this story before. A person said, well, he's not doing very well. well I thought he received the Holy Ghost. Yeah, but I think it leaked out. Listen, when you receive the Holy Ghost, how much of it do you receive? Half of you believe it. When you receive the Holy Ghost, how much of the Holy Ghost do you receive? All of the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Not a, not a smidgen, not a little bit, not a little extra blessing. When you receive the Holy Ghost, it's the whole Spirit. Remember that in Acts chapter 2, they received the Holy Ghost. These same people that we're talking about in Acts 4 had received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. Okay? They had already... So in Acts chapter 4, when you read it, for the sake of time, we can't read the entire chapter. But we'll go through some verses. It says they were filled with the Spirit. And there are some that say, well, see, you get the Holy Ghost, then you get filled. So God gives you a little up front, and then He fills you a lot a little later. It's kind of like pulling up the gas station to say, I want $5 worth. And then when I get enough money in the bank, I'll come back and I'll get a tank full of gas. That's not how God operates. That's not how God operates. And a lot of people, well, I can't wait to get filled. There's something that we need to understand about filled. You know, it's sad that many people uh, say to God, you, you can have my church and you can have my Sunday, but the rest of my week is kind of mine. And, you know, there, there are things that I like and pleasures that I, and so, you know, can, can you park the Holy Ghost and let me, and then at the end of the week, I'll, I'll be back and you can have my Sunday and you, you can have my church. And, you know, it's a Satan's trap. That's a devil's trap. Y'all have all heard this story. Natives in Africa have this very interesting way to catch monkeys. They drill a small hole, hole in a gourd, and they drop beans inside of it. They tie the gourd to a tree. And the monkey runs up there and smells the beans and sticks his hand in the hole, and he grabs those beans, and he will not let go. He'll, I've, seen, I've seen videos of this. He'll run, and boy, it'll pop like this, and he'll try to pull it loose, but he won't let go of the beans. And so they just, that's how they catch the monkey. Pretty ingenious. The problem is a lot of people do that with sin. They just won't let go. They won't let go. In order for the Spirit to have control in your life, you've got to let go. Not, not that, remember in the altar, hang on. You know, somebody's praying on this side. Hang on, and somebody's praying on this side. Let go, and not, not that kind of deal. There's things you've got to just let go of. You've just got to let go of them. Well, that's hard, but sure it is. Difficult. It's called flesh. But what happens when you let go, then you let God. You're allowing the Spirit to flow. It's not that you're getting filled over again. It's already there. But now you're allowing that Spirit to burst forth, and you're allowing the fire to begin to, to, to stoke. and take. Ephesians 4 and 30 tells us not to grieve the Holy Ghost of God. Not to grieve the Holy Ghost of God. When we hold on to sin and hold on to things, in spite of the Spirit conviction and we keep holding on, that's what grieves the Holy Ghost. When God tells you let go, but you don't let go, that's what grieves the Holy Ghost. The Greek word for grieve, by the way, is upeo, and it means distress or heaviness. That when you hang on to those things, the Holy Ghost, there's a distress and a heaviness in your life. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 tells us to quench not the Spirit. And we're talking about what's going on in Acts chapter 4 the early church, and the power and the dynamic that's in there. Don't ignore the call of the Spirit. Don't put out the fire. 
of the Spirit inside. You ever quenched a fire? The easiest way to quench a fire is pour water on it. If you're in a big building like a hospital or a school or whatever, you can't do that. What do you use? Y'all, everybody look at that back corner back there. Let's have a safety. See that red thing on the... Y'all know what that is, right? That's a fire extinguisher. Man, oh man. We need, to, we need to get rid of those fire extinguishers in our life. Not that one, but the ones that extinguish the fire of the Holy Ghost. The second thing you see in a church that's on fire is this passionate proclamation. Let me tell you something. Americans are passionate about a lot of things. If you don't believe me, watch the next debate. We are passionate about football. We're passionate about clothes and cars. We're passionate about houses. If you don't believe me, go, go up to somebody's car in a parking lot and accidentally bump it while they're there with your car door. See, see how passionate that person is. It can get become pretty passionate. I've seen some pretty passionate things happen in parking lots over car doors. Passionate enough to call the police. We're passionate about things. But you know what? God deserves the strongest passion that we could ever give Him, that could ever give anybody. There's a passion inside. And, and many of us have, what's your passion today? What's, what do you really, what really, let me say, in the 80s, what turns you on? That's what we said in the 80s. What turns you on? That's your passion. That's what makes you click, what makes you go. That's what excites you. That's what your passion. Is God your passion? You see, God was their passion. We're going to see here in a minute how much passion they had. How much passion they had. In Acts chapter 4 and 8, they were filled with the Spirit. In verse 31, the whole church prayed and the church was filled. The church was on fire. That proclamation. Peter and John were passionate about their experience. In verse 2, the Sadducees. You remember the Sadducees? We talked about them. You know, they don't believe in afterlife. They don't believe in spirits. They don't believe in ghosts. They don't believe in uh, devils. They, you know, they don't believe in a resurrection. They don't believe in anything. That's why they're sad, you see. That's, that, that's got to be where that came from. Whether it is embraced or not, whether it's popular or not, politically correct or not, you've got to proclaim with passion the truth of God. With passion. Let me give you an unpassion. Let me give you a... I'm in the mall, and there's someone, and they're saying, you know, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. And, uh, you know, if we just had an answer, and here's the, here's the non-passion. Let the Lord take care of it. And many times that's how we approach. Boy, we, yeah, we did our part. We don't know if they heard it or not, but we did our part because we told them, let the Lord take care of it. That's so unpassionate. Ladies, that's like your husband coming up to you. And do you love me, honey? And he got a big old sandwich and he got his T-shirts all dirty. <laughs> yeah, honey, I just love you so much. And let me hug you. That ain't going to happen at my house. I'm going to have to eat that sandwich or get rid of it and take a shower. Because passion has more to do than just being there and present. Passion has a lot more to do than just being present. And these guys were passionate. That's the sign of a church that's on fire. It's there's passion inside of them. Everything to them is about God. 
man, I got to get rid of the ants on my property. I got a bunch of them. They're God's creatures, but they're biting me. I can bring God into anything. Passion means God is a part of your life, front to back, side to side, top to bottom. Peter and John's answer to the Sadducees, you see, they, they had all, if you read the chapter, and I just invite you to read it because of the sake of time, they had an answer because the Sadducees listen, y'all, y'all got to stop this business. What y'all are doing here is confusing people. You're telling people lies, and what, what you're saying is not true, and you need to stop. You see, that's the thing about the devil. He just wants to shut you up. He, he did, the devil's, you know, a lot of times we think because the devil hadn't hurt us, he hadn't damaged us, that we're doing all right. But if he shut us up, we'd be better off hurt and damaged and talking than not hurt and damaged and shut up. The devil just wants you to shut up. And that's what the Sadducees told Peter and John. Y'all just shut up. But this is what Peter and John, that was, here's their answer. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? So, so their passion's coming out. You guys understand, they're in a precarious position here. They're talking to leaders in the Jewish community. And they're saying, hey, we know you're uh, really rabbinical in your understanding of all the Scripture, but you need to shut up. Do you think God wants us to shut up? Do you think God wants us to obey you? Rather than... We're on fire. That's what. Listen, you, you can't stop telling people when you're on fire about the good things of God. You can't. The, I remember going back to work the, the, the Monday after the Sunday that I received the Holy Ghost. You can't help yourself. People that don't want to hear it. I had one guy that was, he was my foreman. He was from Louisiana. If you're from Louisiana, in any part of Louisiana, you know about the Holy Ghost. It's part of their culture in that state. This guy happened to be the same church that I came from. So when I got back, the first thing that morning, I said, we called him Hardcastle. He wouldn't let us call him by James. He, he liked his last name. Hey, Hardcastle, you're not going to believe what happened to me last night. And he's, yeah, I probably don't, but you can tell me. Boy, that was wide open. And, man, I was, I was telling him he was doing this. As I was walking behind him, he was like this. Well, <laughs> he just starts walking away because he knew what I was talking about. Passion. You know, you can't help yourself. You can't, have y'all heard about the mad kisser? Not that lady that, no, that's a, there's a lady that goes around baseball stadiums. But there's a thing called the mad kisser. And what it is, it's a person that has a, a, a sociological problem that when they see nice women, they just walk up and kiss them on the cheek. They're called the mad kisser. You can look it up. It's pretty interesting. You need to watch out, too. They can't help themselves. It's just because the women are so beautiful. They don't mean anything. They just can't help themselves. Man, what if we had a passion for God like that? We just can't help it. We're just going to walk up and kiss him on the cheek. We just can't help it. Wow. Verse 18. I better move on here. These Sadducees knew they couldn't change the belief of Peter and John. So let's just shut him up. You know, the devil will bargain with you. The devil will bargain with you. The devil will leave you alone. He'll leave you alone if you'll leave him alone. He'll just let you sit idle. See, devil likes idleness. Because idleness is like anything. You're, when you're sitting in your car and the light turns green, but you stay in idle, everybody around you gets upset, don't they? Honk, honk, give you that. 
Wave at you, smile, yeah, yeah. Idleness is something that gets you in trouble more than anything you could ever discover. And that's just what the devil wants you to be. He wants you to be idle. Do you and the devil have an agreement today? I don't really speak out. Someone else will. That's being idle. I want, that's somebody else's job. Somebody else will tell them about the Lord. or Somebody else will pray with them. Or If you have, you've made a deal with the devil. And you don't even realize it. Just being idle. Many times people pat themselves on the back because of their faithfulness, that they stayed awake during this whole sermon, that they give generously. They're all, okay, yeah, man, I'm, I made it through the whole sermon without falling asleep. That's hard for a lot of us. It's, when I'm preaching, it's hard for a lot of us. I watch you. you don't, <laughs> now some of you are like, <laughs> but we pat ourselves on the back if we make it all the way through, or that we give. Or that, but the whole time we have this agreement with the devil. I'll just keep my mouth shut if you'll keep your mouth shut. We, we make that agreement with him. According to Barnes Research Group, nearly half of the people surveyed in their survey believe that the Bible, the Quran, and the Book of Mormon all express the same spiritual truths, just a little different. That was just a across-the-board poll, not of Christians, not of not, just poll people. Hey, you, okay. They... In other words, it doesn't make any difference what you believe as long as you believe. Verse 12 of Acts 4, Neither is there salvation in any other. That's why we're not to sit idle and be quiet. That's why we're supposed to have passion. Because there are people out there that think as long as you believe something, you're okay. It doesn't matter what you're believing, but as long as you believe something, you have a belief. And we'll all by and the by and by make it to, we'll all get there. We should have a passion to help them understand that, listen, that is another trick of the devil. Now, let me give you a little slip here. The devils believe and they fear and tremble. They, they, they get the deal. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There has to be a... Pa- Boy, that's sure narrow-minded. Pastor Don, you're saying the church is very narrow-minded. And everybody said amen. amen. We are very narrow-minded. Jesus said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. The thing we want to do is pull everybody into the gate. We are the church on fire. That's what, listen, the next thing is personal. There's got to be, if you're on fire for God, there's got to be a personal transformation. When the church is on fire, you see people that have personal, it's not a transformation of the whole body. It'll happen when the whole body has a transformation. That means that, you know, the thumb starts saying, yeah, 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 I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. You've been working out, dude. I can feel it. I got that muscle. And then your back says, dude, I can feel, you know, all of a sudden the back, yeah, I'm feeling a little stronger. We lifted more today than we did yesterday. And all this time, all the different members of the one body are feeling it in different ways. But it's, they're all experiencing a transformation. Because if you're lifting and your arms don't feel the transformation, but your back does, you're going to have a problem. Pastor Don was really dumb a couple of years ago. And his back and legs felt really good. But he hadn't been exercising his arms really well. And he picked up a log and swung sideways. And the bicep tore loose. Just tore loose. Because I... 
the member wasn't ready for the action of the other members. We have to have each of us have to have this personal transfer, personal. The Sadducees were astonished. These people were unschooled, fishermen, ordinary men. They didn't have degrees from Harvard. They, they, they didn't have a sabbatical, a sabbatical degree. They didn't have any, they didn't have learn. They were just fishermen. And this amazed the Sadducees. And here's what they said, and this is why they were amazed. They said because they took notice that they had been with Jesus. And that's what you have to do in order to get a personal transformation. You have to be with Jesus. Personal transformation. They were bold. Why were they so bold? They, these same disciples, man, it wasn't just a little bit of time before this story. These same disciples were cowardly, hiding in a room, fearful of the crucifixion. And now they're just bold guys that are standing up in the middle of everybody and telling everybody this is what it's about. What, 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 it was a transform, they had a transformation. When the Holy Ghost fell into their life, they had a transformation. That's one of the things the Holy Ghost will do for you, among a lot of others. Will help transform you from who you are to what He wants you to be. Transform you. It's the same word that we find when we see, uh, we talk about a caterpillar in a cocoon. Because that caterpillar, as we know, transforms into a butterfly. It metamorphoses. In other words, the word that metamorphosis, that transform, means from the inside out. So we had it wrong in the old church. We were the outside in. We were butterflies trying to become. It's from the inside out that we metamorphose, that we transform. And it'll show. If, if, if you ever seen a mad Christian? Mad, mad about everything. No, y'all haven't? Okay. You may explain what a mad Christian looks like. Mad Christian comes in and somebody didn't clean church good enough. And that, that water thing should have been over here, not over there. Praise God, I'm glad I'm here to worship the Lord today. <laughs> but I hope that worship leader doesn't do that high key because I can't sing that high key. By the way, look at how that pastor looks. <laughs> Who dressed him? And, oh, you know, the altar, we shouldn't be getting that close at the altar. That should, you know what, that's, you know, that's what a mad Christian looks like. Everything's wrong. Everything's wrong. And they do exist, by the way. They do exist. They, they shouldn't exist in the church. I read something about a guy who was discussing this, and he preached this in his church. And his church, right in the middle of the sermon, he said this. He said, listen, if you're going to be mad Christians, and you're going to talk about bad about everybody, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the, on the way out. <laughs> and he said it in his sermon. He regretted it, but he said it. That's how he approached it. I'm not approaching, I'm not approaching it that way. What I'm saying is, listen, transformation takes that out of our life and puts in the goodness of God where we, we don't see whether it was clean. Or well. We don't see that the, the thing is over here, not over here. We don't see how the pastor looks or we don't know that the person's singing this. We're just glad to be here. That's what a transformation. I'm just happy to be here. Listen, if you were where I was at a few years ago, you'd understand what I'm saying. I'm just glad to be here. I was in an awful wreck with Jana. An awful wreck that we probably should have been killed. Virtually a head-on. We didn't wear seatbelts. That wasn't required in those days. And we should have been killed in that wreck. And we weren't living for God. 
You know, I look at back then and, and I start looking back in my life. An idiot kid trying to swim across a lake and getting halfway across and then running out of steam. All of, I start looking at those things and I start realizing, wow, I'm just happy to be here. Man, at any point in time, I could have gone out into eternity never knowing what I know today. Man, that's what a transformation does for you. You're just happy to be here. A fourth dynamic in an on-fire church is corporate prayer. We all have our prayer times, right? We all have our, we pray, and that's right. But you know what? When you read Acts chapter 4, they came together as a church and prayed. And man, the tornado hit the room. That place was shaken. That place was shaken when that, when, when, and so corporate prayer is important. Why, why is corporate prayer important? It fuels the fire. The more wood you put on a fire, make sense? The more gas you pour on a fire, well, the more people you put in a fire. Listen, if we're on fire and we all get together and start praying, what do you think is going to happen? Man, this huge fire is going to break out. This huge fire is going to break out, and it's going to be uncontrollable. And so what we're going to do is just manage it among ourselves. Because it's going to get out there, it's going to get away from us. It's going to get outside this building. It's one thing to have a fire inside. It's another one to have an outside. The church needs to have fire outside. Let the fire get outside. You know, I, I, just, I would rather have out-of-control fire than no fire. At least with out-of-control fire, you can manage it in some way. With no fire, you can't manage that. And a lot of pastors and a lot of churches are afraid of that out-of-control fire. Well, we're not going to do that because y'all, you might get out of control. Well, we're not going to allow that in the church because you might get out of control. We're not going to let this happen in the church because that you get out of control. And somebody might actually stand up and lay, lift their hand. That's out of control. And somebody might speak in tongues. We have to put them out. That's out of control. And all of those things, and people are scared. Listen, if the fire gets out of control, you don't have to worry about it. God maintains it. It's His fire, not yours. It's His fire, not yours. He'll maintain it. You just get in it. And that's, that's what we, the church, we need to have that fire where it just roars and it's fueled. And that's what corporate prayer is about. You know, it grieves me as a pastor. I'll just say this. It grieves me as a pastor when we have corporate prayer that, that, that we decide to have conversations and talk about different things during corporate prayer. That, that's grievous. And don't, don't worry about me, but worry about God. Because the purpose of corporate prayer is for unity. It's to unify. And when not everybody's praying and there are people who are doing other things during corporate prayer, that's, that de-unifies. Does that make sense? I'm not scolding anybody here. I want, this is for understanding. This is for acknowledgement to understand. that. Listen, when, when everybody's praying but you're not, then you're pulling away from unity. I'm firmly, Janice spoke this to me two weeks ago, and I really believe this because God spoke it into my spirit. I don't need hip surgery. The day's going to come in here, the fire's going to break loose. Everybody in here is going to be praying, and there's going to be unity, and God's going to heal my hip. I don't need surgery. He's going to heal it. I'm totally convinced of that. Don, you're getting out there. That's exactly right. Fire's getting loose. It's, it's going to happen. When we get together in unity, what can stop? Look at California. They've just about given up on putting stuff out. Because this one, and now there's one over here, and this one's adequate. We don't have enough people to stop. Man, wouldn't it be great if there weren't enough devils to stop this fire? Oh, my goodness. If there weren't enough devils out there to stop the fire in the church, what would happen? Fire would get out of control. There would be people all over the place and on fire. We need to be unified. That's what corporate prayer does. It's amazing how much easier it is for me to worship right after corporate prayer. 
It makes a world of difference when I pray with you. I come early and pray, and I have my own prayer times. But when I'm praying with you, man, there is something different. And it's because the fire is getting stoked. There's a lot more wood on the fire. He says if two or three are gathered in his name and agree, there's a fire. There's a fire. When you look at verse 29, they, they begin to be threatened by the Sadducees. The Sadducees were threatening them. What if somebody showed up in here and started threatening us? Y'all stop that worship. You know what? I have a feeling in this church it might get a little louder because a lot of you are rebellious. And if somebody stepped in here and said, listen, I'm going to put you in jail if you don't quit that loud singing, y'all would sing louder. I said, Scott would start, the cymbals would start ringing. And man, I, I can just see him now on that bass. That thumb's popping now. This thing falls over. Darren jumps over the, the singers are all taken off. Sing into the top of her, and that person just has to say, duh, too much for me. Leave. I can see that fire happening. That sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? Maybe we need to lose our mind for Jesus sometime. Maybe we ought to just lose our mind for Jesus sometime. Maybe, maybe we need a little of that. A little of the, Maybe we need a little of it. When they prayed, when you look at their prayer, they didn't pray for deliverance. God Overthrow the Sadducees and get rid of our trouble. No, they just say, hey, God, give us the ability to speak. We don't care what happens. Give us the ability to speak. Listen, we can't whip out on God. We can't whip. He didn't whip out on us. Wouldn't it have been easy at some point from Gethsemane to the cross to just whip out? But he didn't. He didn't whip out. Gave us all. We're the church. We're on fire. We're not wimps. Listen, I'm looking at people that aren't wimps. Now, I need to ask this question. Do y'all know what a wimp is? Because <laughs> I say things sometimes, and then I realize, you know what? That, that's old 80s. and say, A wimp. That, that's the lip-wristed, uh, you know, I can't, uh, it's too hard. And, uh, man, uh, Jesus, I love you today, but uh, it's getting a little tough. Uh, let, me, let me park it for two days, and I'll be back next week. And No, 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 no we got to be on fire all the time. What happened? That's, it says that place was shaken. I looked up that word for shaken, Celio, and it means agitate, rock, or topple. You understand what was happening? That place was rocking. That place was rocking. When, when after that prayer happened and that place was shaking, that place was just going haywire. And the fifth sign, the final is when a church is on fire, there's a partnership. There's a partnership. We're all focused on one another instead of ourselves. That's when you know a church is really on fire. We're focused on each other, each other's needs, each other's situations, not on ourselves. No one claimed anything as their own, the Bible tells us there. But they had all things. In other words, they weren't a commune. Don't misunderstand the Scripture here. They didn't go down to Waco and... Get them a place and make a commune. That's not what they did. They just understood that if if she has need, I have, and this one, if he has need, I have, and they just shared among their needs and among their nothing was their own. The early church was about community, and that's when the church is on fire. We're about community. First, the community that's sitting in here among us. 
you have to be about one another. Once again, churches split over some of the silliest things. And it usually begins because people begin to lose the community aspect. Just caring for one another. Because when we start caring for one another, you, you know what happened? It, you can't, you'll start looking at people outside the church and you'll feel bad for them. And you'll, well, we need to help them. And it, it'll nat, It's a natural flow of God's spirit that way. That's how the Holy Ghost works. It'll naturally lead you into greater things. You won't have to worry. It won't force you. It'll, just, it'll be natural. It'll be natural. Remember, we're the church. When you love God, you love God's people. If you don't love God's people, you don't have to like me, but you do have to love me. If you don't love me, the Bible says you don't love God. Not because I'm God, but how can you love God who you haven't seen? If you don't love the person in front of you who you have seen, Jesus said. How is that possible? Loving one another. We ought to be careful about what we say to one another. I'm, I'm about done here, y'all. Just be careful about what we say to one another. Don't say things that imply. Well, I saw Brother Don down at the car lot the other day looking cars over. He's back to his old ways again. No, I'm needing to buy a new vehicle. Don't imply things. Man, I saw this new car. It was really nice looking rolling down the road, and Pastor Don was driving it. He stole a car. Don't imply things. Don't lie. Don't If you don't know, don't. You know, those are, but you know, that happens in church a lot. Where we see something and we think because we see it. There, there's a, I think down here on the corner, there's a little liquor store, I believe, where McDonald's is. I knew I'd get y'all's attention there. Everybody's head popped up. So you're driving home this afternoon and you see Pastor Don coming out of the liquor store and getting into his truck. Yeah, a lot of you go, yeah, well, it's Pastor Don. We know. We know. No. <laughs> I know people much better than you think. First question that pops into your mind is, what is Pastor Don doing in a liquor store? What you didn't realize is that Pastor Don had two flats on the back of his truck, and he needed to go in and see if somebody would help him change flats. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of times in church, we make statements about people because we saw or heard something when we don't know. the. Listen, if we love one another, we won't be doing that. We, we won't be doing that. Jesus said we won't. That, that's not because we'll be caring more about their situation. If Don walked out with two fists of Bacardi rum, wouldn't you pull over and say, hey, Pastor Don, can I pray for you? Wouldn't you do that? Please tell me you would. No, some of you say, can I have one of the fifths? where's the party yeah I would think that if you love me enough and you knew my background somewhat that you would go and stop and say hey do you need some help and just let me offer the help that I think I might need and then that's when we love one another, that in spite of our issues, in spite of what we see in one another, we have enough love and care that those things aren't the issue. The issue is being right with God and with one another. Listen, Ephesians 4 says, God gave leaders to the church for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. There's a purpose for me being pastor. There's a purpose for you being a teacher. 
There's a purpose for being a bishop. All of those things have purpose, and that is for, uh, uh, for the perfecting of the saints. That word perfecting comes from the Greek to help just to understand. It means like as in mending nets or setting a bone or making something work that wasn't working correctly, make it work correctly. That's what the word perfecting means here. It means in the Spirit, we're mending some nets. In the Spirit, we're setting some bones. In the Spirit, we're making something that wasn't worked correctly, work. That's what pastors, teachers, preachers, evangelists, bishops, that's what we do. We do it because we love. Leaders lead in helping all believers to write in what it works. The, the purpose of Pastor Don here is to help you work together rightly. That's the perfecting of the saints. Now, have we had problems between one another? Anybody here? Has anybody in here had problems with somebody else in the church? Don't raise your hand. Or, Ooh, I but there have been issues. There have been issues where we have, say as to reason, how many people we got here today? There can be issues. Issues aren't the problem. It's getting this thing to work correctly. That's where we got to go. And that's what pastors do. That's what teachers do. They help the body work correctly. And so that's, that, that's, why we, that's why pastors get passionate with you sometimes in the office. So when God's people are working rightly as we close, oh, my. When God's people are working rightly, what in the world could we accomplish? What could actually happen? What would God accomplish through us? See, I believe we stand in a place in history like no other generation. I believe this generation is standing in a place that no generation has experienced, which makes sense, but the, the things that God is doing is unlike any generation. And this is our opportunity to be in the greatest move. Be in the greatest move. Here's what's going to happen in the end times. We're, we start an end times study on Wednesday nights. We're doing a series on end times. Bishop's doing this, his series on, uh, on the Antichrist. So th there's purpose behind everything, right? God leads us as leaders in, in directions for, for, for particular reasons. And what you're going to see here in this end time is you're going to see that there are going to, there's going to be a water that's poured on the church. There's going to be a water that's poured. What does that mean? There's going to be one that wants to extinguish the fire in the church. That's what's, what's going to happen. Devil has to make his last play. He has to make his last play. He's an absolute loser. And he wants to take as many of you and me as he can. So he's going to pour water on this thing. He's going to try to simmer that fire. He would rather just have a little simmer than no fire. Don't. But there's also going to be a group of people that no matter what happens, the fire is going to rage so much in them that they won't be able to contain it. You won't be able to contain it. When you go in your families and your neighborhoods and your schools and where you work and in those places, it, you, it'll just bubble out. It'll, because the fire has such a, a, a control over us, such a hold on us. And so that tabernacle of praise, tabernacle, what is that? That's a dwelling place. Praise, what is that? 
That exalt, that's exalting God for what He's done for us. That's what praise is. So are we a house that exalts God for what He's done for us? One of the best things you can do if you want a bigger fire is what? Fan it? Good one? What, anybody have a fireplace? Huh? Pour gas. If you want to have a big fire, pour some gas on it. Yeah, that's right. What else? Huh? Add wood. Add wood. Sustains it, and it just keeps on and keeps on. And the more wood you add, the bigger it gets, and it keeps sustaining. What else? Fan it. Fan the flames. Fan the flames. The Holy Ghost resides in us. And Paul said that I have to fan the flame. I have to stoke the fire. I have to put the wood on it. I, the fire's here. It's time for us to stoke the fire. Would you stand with me? Every preacher in his ministry gets up and tells you you're in the last days. Right? Because it's the truth. At Pentecost, Peter stood and said, this is what the prophet Joel in the Old Testament said, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. So the last days began on the day of Pentecost. Because that's when he poured out his spirit on all flesh. But the Bible says there's also an end time that's different than last days. Something we'll learn about on Wednesdays. So the question is, do we live in the last days? Everybody said yes. yes. Thank you. Somebody said yes. Are we living in the end time? You know how you know? The fervency of the fire. There's going to be an end time fervency of the fire. And that's when we know. Church, Jesus is about ready to take us out of here. If you're looking for any prophecy to be fulfilled, that's done. That's, that's done. Don't look for any more prophecy to be fulfilled for Jesus to come. That's done. There is none. Jesus is about to come for His church. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.